Good morning, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. It is Friday, August the 18th. Thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a great week, and I hope you've had a chance to follow along with some of the podcasts uh, that we posted. Uh, We've uh, just had some great content. You know, yesterday we had uh, Lucas Doremus on to continue his excellent Uh, exposition of the parables of the kingdom. That was part three of our series, Jesus Enigmatic Parables of the Kingdom. Wednesday, of course, was World Events Update with Randy. Uh, Tuesday night was Prophecy Night as we talked about uh, the rapture and the second coming. And then, of course, if you haven't yet listened to it, we had episode six of Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions on Monday. And I know that was a little bit of a longer one, but hopefully you can uh, make the time to listen to all 90 minutes of it as we answered, I don't know, 30 or 40 different questions on that uh, podcast. But uh, before I introduce today's podcast, just a quick announcement. Don't forget about the conference upcoming with uh, Tom Hughes. Until He Comes Prophecy Conference. That's next Friday and Saturday, one week from today. And uh, he asked me to uh, join the uh, speakers list at the last minute there. I'm filling in for uh, one of the uh, speakers that had a last minute cancellation, wasn't able to make it. And so, of course, I was so honored and obliged uh, immediately. I'll be speaking uh, at the conference there. Uh, other speakers include Dr. Andy Woods, a good friend of mine and a friend of NBW Ministries. Uh, and uh, Alex Newman will be there. Tom Hughes, of course, himself, Bill Federer, John Haller, Olivier Melnick. So a uh, great lineup. I don't know how in the world I got honored to be a part of that mix, but so grateful to be there. And so uh, pray for me as my wife and I travel down there for that conference. Uh, the great thing about it is if you go to Hope for Our Times website, and uh, click on the conference uh, tab, or you can just go directly there from our website at notbyworks.org. We have the the link to the the conference. You can actually buy a live stream ticket for the entire conference for 15 bucks. I don't know how they're doing it, but uh, if you buy a live stream ticket, it's $15, and, and, and you have access to all of the messages from all of the speakers, including mine, uh, for 30 days. So even if you're not available Friday or Saturday to, to watch it live by purchasing a ticket, you can come back and watch it over the next 30 days. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, we, we love uh, Hope for Our Times, love Tom Hughes, so grateful that he uh, thought of including me uh, in, that, in that conference. But today, uh, I'm going to be uh, showing part two of my a four-part series on the spirit of the Antichrist with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. I say showing, it's actually an, an audio podcast, obviously. But, you know, last month, uh, July of 2023, I had the privilege of joining Dr. Tenpenny on her program, Happy Hour with Dr. T. And uh, she did a series of four interviews about the spirit of the Antichrist. And those videos are all available at her website, drtenpenny.com, where you can sign up to become an insider and have access to not only those four videos that she did with me, but also lots of other fantastic interviews with great uh, scholars and Bible teachers. And so I encourage you to visit drtenpenny.com today and become an insider with her uh, ministry and uh, purchase these videos. Uh, She's got some outstanding resources. So the podcast you're about to hear is the audio-only version of part two of that four-part interview. I posted the audio-only version of part one on Tuesday 
this week. So just uh, three days ago, if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go back and uh, check that out. Uh, again, for the full videos, which show Dr. T and myself talking, as well as my slides and visuals, uh, you can go to her website at drtenpenny.com. Uh, this is the audio-only version, so you'll hear me refer to something on the screen at times, and you'll understand that I'm just doing, of course, the audio-only here. But our goal is to encourage folks to go to drtenpenny.com and sign up for not only to, to, to have access to these videos that I did, but also all of our other uh, great content there. So thanks so much uh, for listening, and uh, I certainly hope you enjoy. God bless. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, and I want to extend a warm welcome to everyone who's joining us here for this for the, another session of Happy Hour with Dr. T. Each week, we get together on two nights, Tuesday and Thursday night, have conversations with amazing guests that are important, hopefully inspire you, and will help you grow. We will be able to see past interviews on the, as if you are a premium podcast member by going to drtenpenny.com and hovering over the podcast tab. And with tonight, we are going into part two of another important happy hour series that we've done over the last several months with Dr. T's special events. You know, for the last several months, we've done series with all kinds of great authors and pastors, and we know that these are really important. We've done um, four-part series with, with Pastor Doug Van Dorn, Pastor Mike Spaulding, with authors Doug Woodward, Derek Gilbert, L.A. Marzulli, and now those are available at drtempenny.com for $79. And it's important for you to know that when you purchase those four-part series, you will have a lifetime access to them once you purchase them. And our premium podcast members already have lifetime access to those courses as part of your membership. But the $79 that we collect, 100% of that so sales pro proceeds go back to the authors for, for donating their time to create this content for us and for us to continue to support their writing and to support their work. So it's a good thing for you to invest in, to have in your armamentarium for the future. And it also does a good thing to support people that we've already had passed on our happy hour. So tonight is part two of this very important series, The Spirit of the Antichrist. But first, let me introduce to you our educator, Dr. J.B. Hickson. J.B. Hickson is a nationally known author and speaker, radio host, and more than 30 years of experience in the ministry in both um, academics and in pastoral work. Uh, recognized for his experience in the areas of systematic theology, Dr. Dixon has a passion for communicating important theological truths from the Word of God in a clear and easy way to understand. And I told him after our last session, we talked to chat a little bit, and I just, the tone of his voice and the way he explained things, I could just listen to him talk forever. <laughs> so Dr. Dixon, Dixon has served in the faculties and adjunct faculties and colleges and seminaries um, he earned his BA degree from Houston Baptist University, his master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminar, Seminars Seminary, and a PhD from Baptist Bible Seminary. If you ever find yourself in the Denver metro area, be sure to join him at Plum, Plum Creek Chapel for a Sunday or Wednesday night service. So tonight in uh, part two is a very, very important work. We are using his books, a part one and part two of The Spirit of the Antichrist, which exposes the Luciferian conspiracy to the one world order from a political, religious, and economic system. In week one, we explored the role of Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum in its conspiracy, the role of human government throughout God's plan and through the ages, and America's role in the Luciferian plan. 
Tonight, in week two, we will continue with our focus on the totalitarian tiptoe by exploring historical evidence for the conspiracy and the role of biometric surveillance in the coming, coming planetary control grid. We will also provide some practical guidelines for responding to this totalitarian tiptoe and what believers should do. So JB, welcome back to Happy Hour with Dr. T, this special event. The first week was so amazing. I can hardly wait to get through week two. I am so fired up. I mean, it is it is so great to be with you. You are a blessing uh, to to me and our ministry and my family. We've uh, I don't remember if I mentioned this on the first uh, week, but I, I, we've been following you for almost twenty years. Oh my goodness! Um, we uh, you know when our kids were younger, we have six kids, uh, most of them grown. Uh, our youngest is fourteen, uh, but especially the the work that you've done on you know alternative cancer treatments and things like that, we've just really appreciated you. And then and then uh, really very valuable information. Um, uh, during the the pandemic, you know, we really appreciated that. So yeah, it's a, it's truly an honor. Um, and uh, we covered a lot of ground in the first week, but I am chomping at the bit here for the second week. We've got just more more uh, powerful information that hopefully will awaken people to what's happening before our very eyes. Well, have at it. Let's go. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen so folks can see some of the visuals here, um, and uh, let me know when you see that. I can it's see a, that. Okay, perfect. All right. So we're talking about the totalitarian tiptoe. I think you'd have to be living under a rock lately not to realize that the world is is uh, marching towards a a full spectrum global control grid that is going to be ruled by a a global governance, a a select cabal of global elites that you know have kind of seem uh, to, to be the self appointed rulers of the world. And what's interesting, and what I explain in my two volume series, Spirit of the Antichrist, that we talked about uh, last time. Uh, you can see those on the screen there, is that the Bible says the same thing. The Bible tells us in God's plan of the ages that we are headed towards a one-world system, first to be ruled by the Antichrist at Satan's behest, and ultimately to be ruled by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords himself. So everything that we are talking about in this four-week series is taken from uh, the two books. We also have those in electronic form as well, if you're more of an e-reader type of person. Uh, but we left off last time talking about the New World Order. Uh, the New World Order is what they are tiptoeing towards. And as I suggested last time, maybe a better way to say it is a dictatorial dash, because they are no longer secretly trying to orchestrate world events and bring us into this you know, one world system. They're making a mad dash for the finish line here in the 2020s uh, with uh, things like Agenda 2030 and so forth. But I wanted to start to this week by talking about how America fits into uh, this plan. Um, th th this is important because America has been the one nation that has stood in the way of the globalists rolling out the New World Order uh, for many, many years. Um, and understanding the history of our country and, and God's role in the founding of our country, as well as Satan's role, is critical because, frankly, most of the rest of the world, Dr. Tenpenny, is, is pretty much already rolled over. I mean, it's really already a one-world system. There are a few exceptions, but the big uh, sticking point for the Luciferians I remember, just to review in case you didn't watch the first week, the Luciferian conspiracy is what the Bible describes as Satan's 
uh, conspiracy working with his evil spirits as well as human accomplices, human co-conspirators, that trifecta, Satan, evil spirits, human accomplices, working in tandem to try to take over control of the world and usher in a one-world system that Satan will rule uh, by proxy through the Antichrist. And so that's the Lucifer conspiracy. It's not only talked about in scripture, but it's well documented throughout history, and that's what the two books uh, kind of go into. But uh, this Luciferian conspiracy has been held back in large part, restrained by the United States of America. Um, and in understanding that history will help us understand how and why about 120 years ago, the powers that be, the kind of the tip of the spear of this conspiracy, set their crosshairs right on this country, this great country of ours, and set about to systematically destroy it. And it's it should be uh, self-evident when you begin to go back and look at the, the data points throughout the last 120 years. But let's go back to, uh, you know, the year 1620. The Mayflower was an English ship that transported a group of English families that we, we call pilgrims today uh, from England to North America. After a grueling 10 weeks at sea, Mayflower with 102 passengers and a crew of about 30 reached what is today known as the United States. They dropped anchor near uh, the the uh, tip of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, on November 21st, 1620. By the way, I think most people know that the Plymouth Rock, I, I grew up in, through junior high school in the Northeast and so, you know, love to go back there, been back there many times for speaking engagements. The Plymouth Rock, you know, uh, memorial or whatever it's called or emblem, that's not probably not exactly where the ship landed. It's just kind of the place where we mark the the historical marker. But anyway, I didn't, I didn't remember that from history that they landed in November. Yeah. I mean, 10 weeks. I mean, somebody, somebody wasn't thinking right. <laughs> well, <laughs> they, sh they should have left the shores of, uh, you know, of Europe or, you know, like around May or something like that. So they could have gotten to this country when, cause you know, when you, I so often thought about our found, founding fathers and our early pilgrims. I mean, they came here not knowing anything. It wasn't like they were going to show up at a resort there was no houses already built. They didn't know what food supply was going to be. And now I had forgotten that, or maybe I never knew it that they yeah. actually landed in November. Yeah, they did. And, you know, they, of course, had no way of knowing exactly how long it's going to take. They couldn't, you know, look up, you know, Apple Maps or Google Maps <laughs> and see the red parts on the street where there's construction or an accident or something. And uh, but anyway, so they landed in 1620 and the pilgrims uh, basically were God-fearing, Bible-believing men and women who were looking for a place to worship our creator in peace and without government interference. And in that sense, we see God's fingerprints all over the founding of America. But what many people miss is that Satan's fingerprints were all over the founding of America as well, because within about 150 years after the pilgrims came over, in revolutionary America, things would be entirely different, an entirely different agenda. From the earliest days of our country, Luciferians, Freemasons, and later the Illuminati that were founded on, in 1776, the same year our country was founded, uh, began seeking a new beachhead for their satanic agenda to take over the world. Remember, this is a you know millennia old 
agenda. It started in heaven with Satan attempting a coup in the heavenlies. God rebuffed it, kicked him out. He took one third of the angels with him. And now he's, you know, the, the earth is the devil's playground. He set his sights on mankind, God's highest pinnacle of creation when he tempted Adam and Eve. And he's been trying to take over this world ever since. So this conspiracy, it didn't start, you know, with COVID-19 by, by no means. This is something that's been going on forever, as I document in the books. But so 150 years later, after the Mayflower, uh, the you know, Illuminati, the the Freemasons, the Luciferians, uh, you know, were looking for a new beachhead. And it's no accident that they began referring to America as the, quote, new world, because they were wanting to further the new world order. Uh, and this is documented. Uh, so the order in new world order, of course, refers to complete control and power and authority. And what happened, though, was that the Luciferians vastly underestimated the power of our Lord and the power of his word and the power of Christian faith that had a 150-year head start. And so by the time they come over, um, and by the way, some of them were also God-fearing Christians, but contrary to what a lot, there's a lot of misinformation out there within conservative evangelical teachings and writings that makes it seem like all of our founding fathers were God-fearing Christians who just wanted to love Jesus and serve God. That is documented and verifiably false. Many wow. of them were there at the behest of the New Worlders trying to establish a new beachhead to further, you know, take over uh, the world. Wow. But what happened was their plans were delayed. Um, they, uh, you know, they they realized that they were arriving into a, 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 a milieu or a, a, a setting where, you know, God's word had taken root. People lived by faith. And they even if they weren't believers in the gospel, even if they hadn't trusted in Jesus Christ as their savior, they still had a healthy respect for God and providence. And, you know, when 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 the the circuit riding preacher would come to town you know everybody would shut down their farms and they would all gather in the town square and they wanted to hear what the, this guy had to say you know the preachers in that day were the most educated all of the early institutions in our country were faith based and built around biblical principles so for the first 125 years of our country's official history from 1776 forward the luciferians were playing catch up as God used his people in this great country to spread the gospel and proclaim his word. But by the turn of the 20th century, the Luciferians had had enough. Something must be done if they were going to usher in the new world order. America was standing in the way, so they had to destroy America. And that's where they set out to create a chaos in order to achieve order. <laughs> and it's an age-old practice uh, called the Hegelian dialectic. Uh, Friedrich Hegel, uh, 18th, early 19th century German atheistic philosopher, along with Immanuel Kant, he's considered one of the fundamental figures of modern Western thought. Um, and uh, so he, this is named after him. But the Hegelian dialectic is often referred to as uh, problem reaction solution or thesis, antithesis, synthesis, or sometimes divide and conquer, uh, controlled opposition. Those are all different colloquial ways of saying the same thing. But the idea is when you want to get people in mass to do what you need them to do, you create a problem. Then the people say, we have a problem. And you've already 
anticipated the solution because you're the one that created the problem to begin with. So you say, oh, you have a problem. Great. We have a, you know, a solution for you. It's a pre-planned solution. So it's, it's called the Hegelian dialectic problem, anticipated reaction, intended solution all along. And so that's exactly the techniques that they started using to usher in their agenda and systematically dismantle some of the the really powerful, uh, you know, best parts of this country: our our faith, our family, our gender, our schools, our you know, medicine. You know, a lot of people, and of course, I'm talking to a, you know a doctor and an expert here, so uh, I'm, I'm probably should would be wise to not go down this road because I'll probably say something wrong. But from my research. You know, Western medicine is really something that started in America and and really changed thousands of years of traditional way of looking at medicine. And and that was not accidental. That was by design, as these Luciferians uh, said about uh, to, to 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 dismantle our country. So, in, in there's- fact, one of the um, one of the um, tenets or one of the line items inside of the founding charter of the American Medical Association um, was to eliminate all competition. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was primarily to eliminate um, homeopaths, naturopaths, herbalists, and a form of medicine called the eclectics, which dealt with um, uh, detox, that they did things like saunas and and fasting and things like that. And so, and the idea was, you know, at that time there were there were tens of thousands of physicians in this country because if we didn't have standardized medical school, very expensive training like we did then. You could you could do you could just hang out a shingle and say that you were a doctor or that you could buy it or you got it from your grandfather, your father. You got it down through a hierarchy. In fact, I just wrote an article about that. Um, on my Substack, my Substack is dr10penny.substack.com, and it was about the allopathic versus osteopathic medicine. And so, mm-hmm. if somebody wants to go and read that history, but one of the founding, one of the one of the line items, one of the line items in that founding charter of the American Medical Association, which was in the late 1800s, like around 1890 or so, was to eliminate all competition, to in, make getting medical education harder. And to only let those that were part of the elite and the exp- and the people who could pay for it to become physicians. So it's yes. So that's yeah. all by design. Absolutely. And let me connect some more dots there. So the way they took over. So, put down, uh, so, take, so un- unshare your screen here for a second. While we're okay, talking. sure. Yeah. While we're talking. Uh, yeah. So what's fascinating is just to kind of connect some other dots, the way they set about to do that was they, it was money. It was all money. And I'm going to explain who that is here in just a second. Some of the the, the usual suspects that were part of the Lucifer conspiracy in American history. Uh, but what they did was they gave massive donations and endowments to these medical schools in exchange for being able to have a say over who gets on the boards. Well, if you know anything about higher education, again, I spent 12 years in, in at the graduate level teaching and, and you know graduate classes and in administration. And for six years, I was vice president of academics at a, a large school. And so I understand kind of how that works. The board is the one who has to sign off on the faculty. When we would hire faculty, they would go through an interview process with our administration, the, the provost, myself, other uh, deans. But then ultimately, it's the board 
that has to then sign off and make the offer. And so by controlling the boards of these institutions, they could control the faculty. By controlling the faculty, they control what's taught. And first thing you know, they're producing students who have an entirely different outlook on medicine. And it's more about uh, you know, slicing and dicing and, and pharmaceuticals and chemicals than it is about prevention and, and natural health and understanding, you know, our bodies the way God made them. So if you look at uh, History Channel, you'll find an interesting uh, documentary here. It's called The Men Who Built America. And it's an eight-hour, four-part miniseries <laughs> docudrama. And, um, eight hours. Woo. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> and it really focuses on the lives of Cornelius Vanderbilt, John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, and Henry Ford. And it allegedly kind of makes them up as the men who built America. But of course, History Channel is one of the controlled opposition uh, tools of the mainstream media. And it would be more accurate to say these are the men who tore down America. For example, here's a quote from John D. Rockefeller. He said, the ability to deal with people as a purchasable commodity, as sugar or coffee, and and." The, the ability to be, sorry, let me rephrase that. The ability to deal with people is as purchasable a commodity as sugar or coffee. And I will pay more for that than any other under the sun. It's all about control. And as I've said previously, they view humanity as commodities. And it, to the extent that we can bring them power and money and advance their agenda, great. We're like lab rats in a laboratory. But if not, we're just useless breeders. And as you've all know, Harari talked about, we're going to talk about him in weeks three and four of this series a lot. Uh, he's at the tip of the spear of this conspiracy. Um, you know, we just don't need most people in their view. Most people are uh, redundant, they say. They're useless breathers. So here we go. They they took over the medical industry with the medical schools like Johns Hopkins and Stanford and Harvard. They took over the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, they took over the education industry and made compulsory government schooling mandatory for the first time in U.S. history in 1918. Then they took over the textbook industry um, and, you know, really controlling, uh, you know, the, the publishers. It's all about money and control. And by the way, here's an article uh, that I saw that says how artificial intelligence is changing the textbook industry. And if you think it was bad when the Luciferians took over the textbook industry, Dr. Tenpenny, just imagine how bad it is, you know, going to be when AI takes over the education it, industry. It's, you know, um, I'm sure that you probably know about this, and I'm thinking that your your next book that you're going to come out with in October about uh, the false prophet, you know, Haval uh, Noah Harari is, uh, several people have suggested that he is the false prophet. And he was already in an interview when I heard him, this was just not too long ago, talking about we will have AI that will be able to completely write the Bible from yeah, beginning yeah. to end, because we got to get rid of this mythical thing up in the sky that we actually had humans write it. We will have artificial intelligence write the real Bible. And then I was watching a video yesterday that um, this this interviewer, I, I wish I could remember his name. I'll, pull, I'll put it into, this, into the show notes. Um, he's a podcaster, and he asked AI about the second coming of Jesus. And he wrote a five, AI wrote a five-part sermon. I saw that. Yep. Actually pretty astonishing the way that it was written, but it was talking about, you know, how AI is going to be part of 
the return of Christ and the great deception of what's going to happen because of oh. AI. Yeah. So in volume two of the Spirit of the Antichrist books that we're talking about, we have a whole chapter on transhumanism and artificial intelligence. Uh, and I get into a lot of that, but you're right. The forthcoming book is going to be more focused on AI and the technological takeover and how they're going to use that to you know, roll out the global surveillance grid. Uh, but uh, I have a lot more to say about Uvaldo Harari in weeks three and four. So I hope folks will come back okay. Okay, Thursday for a these sessions. It's a prelude of what's yeah, coming. <laughs> it really is a prelude. And we might even get to some of that in this one. I can't remember how many, how far ahead in my slides here I'm going. But but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a concerted effort to, to for for control. But you know, back to the turn of the 20th century and these Luciferians, and they put in motion this plan to take things over. For example, they took over the finance industry when a group of congressmen secretly met on Jekyll Island to create the Federal Reserve in 1913. I think most people, probably in your audience, are are well aware that the Federal Reserve is a privately owned institution owned by six families. It is not any more federal than Federal, you know, Express. It's a privately owned company. All central banks are privately owned. That's why our dollar bills all say Federal Reserve note. They are just debt instruments. They are not truly, uh, you know, a valuable, uh, you know, commodity. And by the way, if folks will go to notbyworks.org and click on our podcast page. We do four or five, five or six podcasts a week. And just last Friday, I was on with David McIlvaney, one of the premier financial experts in the world uh, with McIlvaney Wealth Management. And we talked a lot about uh, this system. But in my research, uh, I had the chance to go to Jekyll Island where the Federal Reserve was founded. I actually uh, went to the actual club, used to be called the Jekyll Island Club, now known as the Jekyll Island Club Resort. Uh, here, my wife took a picture of me standing out in front of it. Um, and uh, we went inside and one of the meeting rooms within this club is named Federal Reserve because that was the site of it. But it looks like an old, you know, a sort of good old boy network type club where secret societies would meet. Uh, here's me in one of the fireplace rooms. And that's where the Federal Reserve was founded. And again, that was all by design. They needed a way to bring down all aspects of our country, including uh, their the economy. And our economy, by the way, has been on life support for, for decades. Um uh, ever since uh, Bretton Woods in 1944, and then especially when we went off the gold standard in 71. Um, but uh, so, you know, as well, we- was it, Wasn't it Rockefeller who said at that point, give me give me control of the money and I care not who's in, who's the president of the United States? I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but it was- Yeah, give like me that. control of the banking system. Yeah, exactly. Yep, that's it. Yep. That was it. So all, of the, all I'm trying to show, and obviously in a one hour session, we can't make all the case. That's why I give you all the, the citations in the book. Again, over a hundred pages of bibliographic citations uh, in the two books combined. So you can do your own research. But what I'm uh, saying is that this was a concerted effort under the orchestration of the Luciferian elite to bring down America. And then uh, I don't think we're going to have time to get into it, but one of the most fascinating chapters in volume two is the Luciferian timeline, where I show that back in the 1930s, uh, Satan worshipers like Alice Bailey and Helena Blavatsky were writing 
about the year 2025 being the pivotal year when they crossed the finish line. She wow. was she was uh, channeling a demon called Master DK. I cite all this in the book, and she had over 10,000, she being Alice Bailey, who, by the way, along with her husband, uh, started the, Lucif the Lucifer Publishing Company that later became the Lucius Publishing Trust. But anyway, they were Satan worshipers. And she has over 10,000 pages of writings, a lot of it published posthumously, but in those 10,000 pages, there are 15 times when she specifically believes that this demon told her about the year 2025 being a pivotal year. So that's why, you know, when you connect all these dots, we are really both biblically following God's plan of the ages and anecdotally and historically coming to a pivotal point. Now, let me give you a series of quotes here from key American and global leaders over the past 100 years, again, suggesting that a key turning point was the turn of the 20th century that shows a, a, a running theme of this desire to usher in full-spectrum global control. So first, let's talk about Carol Quigley. Carol Quigley wrote Tragedy and Hope. He was a the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. We have a chapter on the Council on Foreign Relations in Volume 2. Um, but he... Uh, he said that nothing less than the, the, the aim of this Luciferian uh, society and the global elite is nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. He said the individual's freedom and choice will be controlled with very narrow alternatives by the fact that he will be numbered from birth and followed as a number through his educational training his required military or other public service, his tax contributions, his health and medical requirements, and his final retirement and death benefits. As I mentioned, we have six kids and you know we, we have a lot of friends and colleagues in our network that are very much awake to the world as it really exists and are very much sort of opposed to some of the traditional trappings of our system. Uh, and uh, if you've ever tried, uh, if you've had a child recently, you've ever tried in the, the hospital room within hours after it's being born, and they come in and thrust the social security application for that new infant in, in your face. If you've ever tried to resist that, it is not easy. I mean, they will, I mean, you can, they can't force you to do it, but they, you know, I, I talked to one friend who said, well, we'll take it home and we'll bring it back. No, 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 you really have to, you really need to turn it in here. We can't let you go without it. And he he pushed back and said, you know, that's not true. We're taking our baby when we get discharged and we're leaving and we'll, we'll send the form in. So you can do it, but it's, uh, this is what he was talking about here, you know, back in the seventies, uh, when he said, you're going to be numbered uh, from birth. Uh, and he's simply recording what the, the Council on Foreign Relations, which is a Rockefeller-based think tank, uh, part of the secret societies uh, that are kind of pulling the strings of power in America. And, and this is interesting. Here's where he sort of exposes the fake left-right paradigm, which I talk about in volume one. He said, the argument that the two parties, Republican, Democrat, should represent opposed ideals and policies, one perhaps on the right and the other on the left, is a foolish idea. Instead, the two parties should be almost identical so that the American people can throw the rascals out at any election, but it does not lead to any profound or extensive shifts in policy. And so, again, you know, not to get too far uh, to chase too much of a rabbit here, but the fact is, you know, all of DC is controlled. 
Um, the only exception is a few congressmen every year, every two years they're reelected. So you get some freshman congressmen who come in that are patriotic, in some cases, Christian Bible-believing men and women who really love our country and want to make a difference. But with that exception, all and, of the- And then they become quickly disillusioned. Either disillusioned or controlled. Most of the time it's controlled. If they're managed to escape being controlled, then they're usually one-termers and they just wash their hands of it and say, forget it. But the, all of the Senate, the Supreme Court, the White House- certainly all of the bureaucracies and government agencies, completely, utterly controlled. And people just need to, to remember that. And if, if all it took to turn this country around was to elect a Republican in the White House, a Republican majority in the Senate, a Republican majority in the Congress, uh, and a Republican appointed majority on the Supreme Court, we would have turned this country around long ago because there have been many times when that's the case. We had the Gingrich Revolution going way back. We had the Tea Party Revolution a few years ago. We had the Trump Revolution. And and now, by the way, we have a six to three so-called supermajority on the allegedly independent Supreme Court. And yet they still are passing, you know, Luciferian agenda controlled decisions. Uh, in the book, by the way, I talk about the Dobbs decision on abortion. I won't take the time to get into that now, but it is not what everybody thinks. It was mm -hmm. not a good decision. Not at all. Um, so uh, basically it crystallized that unborn human beings do not have, unborn American citizens do not have constitutional rights. That's what they said. But here we go back to the first uh, British prime minister, Benjamin Disraeli. He said, the world is governed by very different personages to what is imagined by those who are not themselves behind the scenes. Even Winston Churchill said from the days of Spartacus, Weishaupt, Karl Marx, Trotsky, this world conspiracy has been steadily growing. He said the creation, this was after World War II, the creation of an authoritative world order is the ultimate aim toward which we must strive. Another World War II figure from France, Charles de Gaulle said, nations must unite in a world government or perish. James Paul Warburg from the famous Warburg Bankster dynasty. His father was one of those men who met secretly in 1913 on Jekyll Island to start the Federal Reserve. He said, we shall have world government, whether you like it or not, by conquest or consent. Zbigniew Brzezinski, a longstanding Luciferian elite who's worked in both Republican and Democratic uh, you know, uh, agencies and uh, administrations for presidents, that's one way, that's one key smoking gun that a person is part of the agenda is when they work for Republican presidents and Democratic presidents. But he said, this regionalization is in keeping with the trilateral plan. I talk about the trilateral commission in the books which calls for a gradual convergence of East and West, ultimately leading toward the goal of a one-world government. National sovereignty is no longer a viable concept. He said the technocratic era, which was before his time, but he was predicting it and he knew it was coming because he knew they were working on it behind the scenes. He said it involves the gradual appearance of a more controlled society. And such a society would be dominated by an elite unrestrained by traditional values. And by that, he means values of liberty and freedom. Soon, it will be possible, he said, to assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen and maintain up-to-date complete files containing the most personal information about that citizen. So think vaccine passports, medical ID cards, global digital ID, E-Verify, all of these things that are coming together under this, you know, complete global control. Because see, you know, the uh, the Antichrist is not omniscient, neither is Satan. 
So if he's going to be able to do what Revelation tells us he's going to do in Revelation 13, he's going to need help. And he's going to use technology to be able to control everyone uh, globally. I love this one. Zbigniew Brzezinski said, shortly the public will be unable to reason or think for themselves, and they'll only be able to parrot the information they've been given on the evening, the previous night's news. He said, persisting social crisis, the emergence of a charismatic personality, and the exploitation of the mass media, they've been controlled since Operation Mockingbird in the 50s, and still are to this day, to obtain public confidence would be the stepping stones in the piecemeal transformation of the United States into a highly controlled society. And then this one ought to chill you to the bone. He said this shortly before his death in 2017. He said, today it is infinitely easier to kill one million people than to control one million people. And that's sort of a teaser for what we're going to talk about in weeks three and four, which is to whatever extent they're not able to control the American people and bring the American government under a one world system, they'll just depopulate. They'll just kill. And that has a lot to do with some of the things that we see happening around us. But for those who think that the New World Order is just some false conspiracy, by the way, a conspiracy, uh, you know, I, I believe in conspiracy theories. You know, I just don't Absolutely. believe in the ones that are false, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And people don't understand that that term came out of the CIA. It sure did. One. And number two, I mean, you can be charged illegally for conspiracy, which, you know, the simple definition I use all the time is that people get together behind closed doors to make a decision that they're going to do something collectively together, unanimously, that is probably nefarious or illegal. And then yeah. they leave the room and all of them swear and that they will never, that they will tell everybody that they never had a meeting. Right. And yeah. Conspiracy. You're exactly right. Some 70 to 80%, literally from my research of all federal crimes have the word conspiracy in the title in the charge. So a conspiracy, as you said, is two or more people working together to commit a crime or do something nefarious. Yeah. So, and then, um, and then deny that they ever had a meeting. They didn't deny, yeah. they didn't, they, they deny the collusion yeah. that, you know, sometimes they get busted. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they do. And so you're right. I talk about in the book, I think it's in volume one, I document uh, the you know CIA document from 1967, where the CIA made up the term conspiracy theory in an attempt to, to create a pejorative label. It's called mimetic hegemony, which is now a, a scientific you know, term. It's they they there have been journal articles written about it. People teach, you know, courses on it. And Kaz Sunstein has written books about it, about how to use a a label as a weaponized term to discredit people. And so what was happening in 1967 is, you know, people were uh, realizing that the Warren Commission's report on the assassination of Kennedy was completely bogus. It didn't, you know, have any basis in truth. It wasn't even scientifically possible. You know, remember the magic bullet in Oliver Stone's movie? That was very accurate. Uh, so people were like questioning it. And the CIA was tasked with coming up a way to marginalize that truth movement and, to, and discredit those people. So they invented the term, this is documented, uh, conspiracy theory. Well, here we are. I think it was in the, was it the 60s that Kierkegaard was around and he was the big psychologist that everybody leaned to, yep. um, kind of Jungian type of psychologist. He said, once you label me, you negate me. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, yeah. The, the tentacles of, 
secular humanistic psychology with Jung and Freud and some of those are, you know, very much a part of this Luciferian agenda. It's all a battle for the mind. Folks should go back. Uh, I think it was last week in my every pro- every Thursday night, I'm sorry, every Tuesday night in Denver, we do a prophecy night mm-hmm. and it's live streamed. We have about 5,000 people that join in. Uh, sometimes last week we had over 6,000. And, um, and we talked last week about the battle for the mind. And I brought up some of that psych, psychology and psychoheresy but so this is you know this is what we're we're seeing these luciferians are wanting to get rid of people but for those who think this this conspiracy is is not real i want to give you a bunch of more quotes now of key leaders who have made reference to it and when you and when you see and i got many more in the book but when you see them all in one place then it really becomes, you know, not just an isolated kook that you can dismiss as if, oh, that that not not meaningful. But let's start with one that most people know about, and that's uh, George H. W. Bush's State of the Union address in 1991. In the context of the Gulf War, he said, "The world can now therefore seize this opportunity to fulfill the long-held promise of a new world order." Nixon, before him. When he was oh, meeting, and his, Trump. wait, wait, just one second. And his thousand points of light. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he gave those, um, when he gave those talks, he Me just too. had this gleamy sort of look in his eye, like, yes, like he could just see that this was finally coming together. Yeah. And that's the way Akash Schwab is today. I mean, he yes. just 80 something. He feels like he's on the cusp. He's so close. He can taste it. Um, but go absolutely, yeah, Bush, person. Bush, uh, you know, that you see on the screen there, he, for those of you that may not be aware of this, this may come as a, you know, me hard to believe, but do your own research. The Bush dynasty is really at or near the tip of the spear in the Luciferian agenda. Prescott Bush, the, the patriarch, he financed Hitler. He was part of trying to usher in the one world system back then. And uh, these are not good people. Uh, before him, Nixon, when he was meeting with the Chinese president in 1972, uh, said, each of us has the hope of a new world order. Gorbachev, from the former United Soviet Socialist Republic, said, we are moving toward a new world order. Now, he thought of it as communism was going to be the rule of the day, but still, he you know, that's what I say. There's competing agendas even within the Luciferian agenda. But again, he's talking about a new world order. Henry Kissinger uh, in 1994 said, the new world order cannot happen without U.S. participation as we are the single most significant component Yes, there will be a new world order, and it will force the United States to change its perception. So again, if you go back to what I said earlier about the turn of the 20th century, these guys intentionally set out to destroy America because with all of our resources, our people, our technology, our science, they needed us as a key part of this system. And because of the influence of our Lord on our history and God's people being a restraining influence, we were standing in the way. So what did they do? They set out to systematically destroy education, family, gender. They're attacking the very image of God and man. Uh, I have a chapter called the Gender Surrender Movement, which was one of the toughest chapters in both books to write. Chapter 13 of Volume 2, I had to actually stop for a while and just walk away because the stuff that's talked about in there with the satanic ritual abuse and the attacks on children uh, just really tears your heart out. Uh, Here's Kissinger again in the context of Obama's uh, election. This, he told this to a CNNBC interviewer in 2008. He said, I think President Obama's task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period, 
when a new world order can be created. See, they put Obama in. He's the first and so far only true Manchurian president who was groomed from birth to become president. And they, again, at that point, thought this was going to be the turning point. They thought this would be when they would uh, you know, cross the finish line. Apparently, they didn't listen to Alice Bailey's demon, you know, a hundred years ago. That really, it's the 2020s, and so they believe they could control them. But what happened is Obama got in, and and while he certainly did further the Luciferian agenda in many, many ways, he also went rogue a few times and did some things they weren't happy with. And it, you know, again, because God's in control ultimately, it wasn't time yet, and and so it didn't happen on his watch. Um, uh, here's H.G. Uh, Wells in his book called The New World Order. That's the title. He said, countless people will hate the New World Order and will die protesting it. David Rockefeller, we talked about John D. Rockefeller, Feller, his father. Uh, all we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the New World Order. Sound familiar? Um he, in his memoirs, he died in 2017, by the way, but in his memoirs published shortly before his death, he said, some people believe we're part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States. They characterize my family and me as internationalists of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure, one world, if you will, he said. Well, if that's the charge, then I stand guilty, and I'm proud of it, openly admitting, again, that they're part of a, an attempt to usher in a supranational sovereignty by an intellectual elite that he says is surely preferable to the national auto-determination practiced in past centuries. In other words, national independence is a thing of the past. Go back to what we talked about in week one with God's plan of the ages, starting with globalism, shifting into nationalism. They hate nationalism because it means sovereign control of you know elected people. And so they're trying to bring that down. Kissinger said, today, America would be outraged if UN troops entered Los Angeles to restore order, but tomorrow they will be grateful. And this is especially true, he said, if they were told, remember what Klaus Schwab said about the power of narratives and stories and misleading people and getting them to jump on causes. Kissinger said, this is especially going to be true if they're told that there was an outside threat from beyond, whether real or promulgated, it doesn't matter whether it's real or not. We can just tell them there's something to be afraid of. Tell them there's a boogeyman hiding in the closet. And then uh, and they will easily welcome global troops like the UN. And it's then that the peoples of the world will plead uh, for us to deliver them from this evil, the Hegelian dialectic. You know, we got to use fear to convince you, you need us to help solve this problem, you know. And when presented with this scenario, Kissinger said, individual rights will be willingly relinquished for the guarantee of their well-being granted to them by the world government. And so I believe we are teetering on the brink here of this one world system. And, um, you know, we know that, uh, as uh, John tells us, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Uh, as I mentioned, Satan is conspiring with earthly accomplices. I talk all about this in uh, in you know, chapter uh, two or three of volume one, when I outline it and diagram it, here's the conspiracy right here. Satan, demons, and human accomplices. These human accomplices are the ones that are kind of helping him in flesh and blood and in, in corporeal bodies on earth to try to pave the way. Um, I've diagrammed this out in the book. 
We won't take the time to go over each of these levels, but at the top tier, you've got six or eight families who are literally praying to Satan and talking with him the way you and I, Dr. Tenpenny, pray to the Lord, our God. They're taking their marching orders from him. That You don't see these people. Um, we know who some of them are, but they're not the usual suspects that everybody gets caught up in, like the George Soroses and the Yuval Noah Hararis and the David Rockefellers. Those are all people at the second level. And in the, the second level, you've got hundreds of thousands of people involved in business and finance with groups like the Federal Reserve, the World Bank, foundations, big pharma corporations, the International Monetary Fund, all the other central banks. You've got secret societies like the Freemasons, Skull and Bones. Uh, I have a whole chapter on that. Uh, at this level, most, I would say, are maybe probably most, certainly a good number, understand that they are part of a Luciferian agenda. In other words, they they understand that at the top, they're worshiping Satan. But many of them don't. They're just in it for their own personal power, wealth, you know, sex, control, whatever it might be, the normal depravities and proclivities of man that make them easy targets to help this agenda move along. And then at the bottom level, there are millions and millions of people involved uh, at this bottom of the pyramid in politics, in the military and intelligence you know, areas, in religion, in uh, you know, groups like UNESCO and other organizations and trusts. I mentioned the Lucius Trust earlier. At this level, I would say the vast majority aren't aware that it is a connected, interconnected conspiracy. Uh, they're simply doing bad things for various reasons. It's like a big uh, project management. You know, if you've ever been in project management, you know, it takes a, a special kind of a mind for a person to be in charge of that and then delegate certain jobs along the way. And you're doing your job in a, in a cubicle coding or whatever you're doing, and you don't necessarily know how it all fits together, but you've got a job to do. And, and that's what we see at this bottom level. Um, so we see throughout history all kinds of examples of references to this power behind the power, if you will, this hidden government. Um, uh, for example, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, who was president from 1901 to 1909, right about the time that this concerted effort began to, to destroy America. And he said, behind the ostensible government sits enthroned an invisible government, owing no allegiance and acknowledging no responsibility to the people. Manly P. Hall, that uh, Canadian Satan worshiper who wrote The Secret Teachings of All Ages, he was a 33rd degree Mason, he said, there are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes, dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. It was that quote that led me in my first book that I wrote on this subject, which was back in 2012. It was called The Great Last Day's Deception, Exposing Satan's New World Order Agenda. Uh, and it was much smaller. And, and of course, the two-volume set that just came out is much more in-depth. But on the cover of that book back in 2012, I showed a marionette, a puppet master with strings to all the major power centers of the earth. Because, you know, as Manly Hall, you know, exposed here and admitted that there is a spiritual battle going on and, you know, things are not always as they seem. Edward Bernays is considered the father of modern uh, public relations um, his book, Propaganda, is a must-have. Everybody ought to read it. Um, but uh, let's see, he died in 1995, but he was behind many of the mainstream ideas and terms and concepts that we think have always been with us, but 
but no, he was paid to come up with the ideas behind them. Let me give you a couple of quick examples just so you know who, who you're dealing with here. The whole idea of giving a, your fiance a, a diamond ring for your wedding started with him in the 1940s. And, and it was in because the diamond industry wanted to make more money. And so they paid him lots of money to come up with a plan. A uh, whole idea of women smoking cigarettes, the whole women smoking cigarettes campaign was at his behest. He's the one that changed the name of the Department of War after World War II to the Department of Defense. Again, mm. great psychological ploy. Wow. Um, make people think that we can imperialistically go into nations all around the world, take over, th overthrow their governments, install new puppet governments of the United States. And we're doing that all under the guise of defense. You know, never mind that we're basically an island nation with only two allies on either side of us, and we can see the enemy coming from millions of miles away. We don't really need 300 bases all around the world, unless we're trying to control the poppy fields of Afghanistan or the oil mm -hmm. in the East, but that's another subject. But he talked about the invisible government who manipulates uh, society and that is the real true ruling power of our country. He knew that. He said there are invisible rulers who control the destinies of millions. It is not generally realized to what extent the words and actions of our most influential public men are dictated by shrewd persons operating behind the scenes. Um, he, and then we've got uh, former Supreme Court Justice Al, uh, Felix Frankfurter, who said the real rulers in Washington are invisible and exercise power from behind the scenes. Now, you know, he was on the Supreme Court up until 1962, and it should really concern people that, you know, he's out there saying, you know, highest court in the land that there's power that is operating behind the scenes. Um, here's JB, Woodrow. I don't know how many more of these that you have to go, but we're kind of getting short on time here. Okay. Yeah, you bet. That was my last. I had one more here, but people mostly know the Woodrow Wilson one. So yeah, that's kind of the, the bottom line of, of where we're headed. You know, we're headed into a time of total biometric surveillance. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, I'm laying the foundation here for what we're going to talk about in the next two weeks with hopefully by now people see that this is a, you know, an intentional plan and conspiracy, both globally and in, uh, the United States. And, uh, yeah. Uh, what, what thoughts or questions did you have at this point? Well, I don't have any questions other than the thoughts I have is I wish that this could go on for eight weeks. I mean, yeah. that's, that's my thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, but sure. in, in lieu of that, I think that everyone needs to be able to get your books that we've been alluding to here, The Spirit of the Antichrist, Part 1 and Part 2, so that you can do, you, you know, the one thing I have to say, the, the things that I like about your books, I love the thoroughness of everything. I love the not only the secular documentation you have in it, but the biblical references that you have in it. And one of the other things I love about your, well, I like your style of writing because it's very much like your style of speaking. You know, <laughs> some people speak in a way that it's very easy to understand, and then they write in this very eclectic sort of way that they want to sound smarter or something. But you write the way you speak, which makes it very easy. And a small little thing that I love the, mo the most about your books, the font size is not like size two. It's like a <laughs> font size that people like my 
my age can read. Yeah. And it doesn't mean like it's oversized, but it's like a readable size font. I will tell you that's one of the things that absolutely stops me from buying a book is if I pick up a book and it looks like really, like really interesting, like I want to read, like with these, and I'll flip it open and it's like the teeny tiniest little font. I just know that I'll never read it. So I don't get it. So yeah. it's well documented from the secular perspective that you can do references, biblical perspective. It's written really very well. It's easy to read and absorb, and it's the right font size. <laughs> Amen. So. Well, and we we purposely chose, uh, it cost extra from the publisher, but a, a bright white page too, as well as sort of instead yeah. of off-white, and that yeah. makes it easier to read too. But let me mention real quickly, because we promised this, that we would do this in the uh, opening, and I don't want to leave people sort of with a, this, woe is me, what do we do? You know, the sky is falling. So let me just give you two verses that will encourage you. Don't forget that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then that same passage that I've talked so much about in First John, where it warns us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work, the very next verse, Dr. Tenpenny, reminds us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So if God is laughing uh, at these Luciferians from heaven, thinking they can overcome him, we should not be worried. And uh, we need to catch God's eye. You know, my my closing illustration would be an illustration from fatherhood here. You know, we've gone to theme parks all our life. We love theme parks. All of our kids love roller coasters. And I remember one experience we had, I can't remember which one of my children it was, but it was one of the girls and she was young and she was on this ride and I was off the ride taking pictures. And it was one of those that spins around and she was on there with Wendy, with with her, with my wife, her mom. And she was just crying, just terrified. And I'm taking pictures and I'm laughing and I'm waving every time she comes around and I'm saying, you know, you know, look, look at me, here's dad, you know. And finally, one time around, she caught my eye. And the minute she saw that I wasn't scared, that I was laughing, that I was happy, she settled down and she began to enjoy the ride. And that's kind of the way I view God's perspective is, is he's not worried about any of this at all. Uh, he's with us. He, he, he wants us to, to trust him, to, to walk by faith and not by sight. And if he's laughing at these fools that think they can defeat him, we ought not be fearful of them either. Well, amen to that. I'm telling you, that is, that's absolutely the truth. And that, you know, so we can go to your site. You know, I always tell people this, that it's really important to buy from the authors. You know, it's available on Amazon. You've said it's like a, a PDF file. You can also get it in a in a Kindle sort of perspective. But um, it's really important to, you know, go to Amazon, read the reviews, go to the author and read and buy the book. And then, um, and then go to... Um, go to the, go to the, and then go back to Amazon and write a review. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. That's really important. Yeah. Well, JB, why don't you, can you close us out on a quick prayer here tonight? For the You betcha. Process? You bet. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And thank you for this outlet that we have, at least for now, to be able to proclaim the gospel and, and sound the alarm about what's happening before our very eyes. Lord, we pray if there's one listening here to this uh, video that maybe doesn't know you, that through uh, the things that Dr. Tenpenny has said and I have said, they might be driven to your word. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Lord, we pray that in simple childlike faith, they would trust in Jesus Christ, the son of God, who died and rose again to pay our personal penalty for sin as the only one who can save them and give them eternal life. And for those of us that have already trusted in Christ and know the Lord, strengthen our faith, we pray. Help us to, to really be confident in who you are. And even though there are troubling times ahead, uh, this is all part of your plan, 
and uh, you have not left us without witness. And so thank you for this time together. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much, JB. I cannot wait until part three, because there, there we're going to move right on into a, a newer sort of way of prospecting things. We're going to look at their their horrible depopulation agenda. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to thank everybody who's joined us here tonight. I think that it's a I think that you've enjoyed this. If you miss week one, you can go to drtenpenny.com underneath the podcast tab and you can watch that. Um, but I really encourage all of you. I'm not gonna, I don't have the time tonight to go through all of the different things inside of both of these books. In terms of of the table of contents, but you will not be disappointed, and it's something that you will long have as as part of your um, as part of your your uh, library. So with that, I want to say thank you to everybody who's joined us here tonight. You know, I always close out with Romans twelve twelve: Rejoice in hope, be patient in trouble, and be persistent in tra- prayer. So stick around for a couple minutes. At the end of this, you'll see some special offers from our sponsors for this week. We'll see you next week, same place, same time. Happy hour with Dr. T. Thank you so much, JB. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care. My pleasure.